Good morning. Everyone has their topics that become soapboxes for them. I, unfortunately, have quite a few of those. And one of my soapboxes is tithing. Now, before you all get uncomfortable, give me a second to explain. You see, I'm not a fan of tithing. I'm not. I don't preach about tithing. I don't tell people to tithe. I don't tithe myself. And here's what I mean. When we think of the concept of a tithe, we mean giving 10% of our income to the church or to charity or whatever it is, right? 10%, hence the word tithe. Tithing is something that is really strongly promoted by Protestant Christians. And some people will even look at Catholics and say it's no wonder that our parishes are usually poorer than Protestant communities because Catholics don't tithe their 10%. So where does this idea come from, tithing? It actually comes from the Old Testament. When Moses is explaining the division of labor, uh, the division of labor and of land according to the 12 tribes of Israel, You may know that when Moses divided up all the inheritance of land among the 12 tribes, he was commanded by God to only make 11 divisions. The tribe of Levi, that is the priestly family of Israel, was not to own land or to receive any inheritance from the promised covenant. God declared that he himself would be their inheritance, which, as an aside is why when Jesus goes to watch Peter's feet, he says he must wash his feet or Peter would not have part, or the Greek is inheritance, in Christ. Jesus is using priestly language there. He's conferring the holy priesthood on the apostles. The washing of the feet isn't a nice story about how we should hold doors open for each other, but that's another soapbox of mine. The tribe of Levi wasn't going to receive any land or any money or anything Uh, They weren't able to grow crops. They weren't able to own animals. They weren't able to receive any treasured loot from enemy nations. The Levites didn't share any of it because their share was God himself. But priests have to eat as well. And so to make up for it, each of the 12 tribes of Israel were commanded that they must support the ministry of the Levites by giving them 10% of their annual product and income, which would then be used by the Levites both for their own well-being and, more importantly, for the upkeep of the sacred worship of Israel, which was their duty. And from this, we have the concept of a tithe. That's where it comes from. It isn't in the Gospels. Jesus never commands us to tithe. It actually has nothing to do with individuals being charitable. It's more about nations as a whole supporting the good of priestly ministry. So let's fast forward to Jesus' time. In the Gospels, when we do see the word tithe come up, it's when Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for giving tithes of common herbs and their excess goods. You see, what had happened is that over time, what was originally commanded as a pragmatic way to divide the share of the goods of Israel, the tithe, had been usurped by the Pharisees as a way to numerically command people how much they are to individually contribute to the temple or to the temple priest. 
The Pharisees were all about laws, or more importantly, they were all about finding ways to make the law benefit themselves. And so the wealthy Pharisees knew that they had enough excess goods that 10% of their goods would not do them harm, even though to an impoverished family, 10% could be detrimental. However, if the poor did not contribute their tithe, they were considered unclean because they had not fulfilled the law. And so it was a sort of vicious way to keep the poor low and keep the Pharisees and the priestly class rich and in control. So our Lord recognizes this practice in Jerusalem, and this brings us to the gospel today. Many rich people are coming and entering the temple, and they're giving their tithe. They're donating to the temple treasury out of their excess, and then they're going about their way of life. But our Lord tells us that the coin that this woman had was everything she owned. And for this, she earns the praise of the master. This passage is our Lord's commandment about how we are to be generous, right? Not the tithe. This is the commandment. Christian generosity is not definable, right? We like numbers in our society. We like to know exactly how much we owe in taxes, or if we're lucky, we like to know exactly how much money we're going to get back, right? We want to know our return on our investments. And frankly, we would like a solid rule given to us that tells us just how much we have to give to church, write in a check, so that we can go on our beach vacation or go get that box at the college football stadium in good conscience. That's what we want to know, right? But Christ is telling us that forcing our generosity into a numerical system just doesn't cut it. Jesus isn't looking for us to aim for a percentage. He isn't keeping score like that. Jesus doesn't want you to tithe. He wants you. He wants everything you have to offer. And no, he doesn't want to leave you destitute, but he wants you to realize that your worldly goods are only given to you so that you can live and then support the needs of others. And this applies to all of our monetary donations, but it also includes so much more, really. The Lord is commanding us to give our livelihood to him. That's the word he uses in the gospel. So let me give you an example of what I mean. When I was in seminary, I was involved at a parish in New Orleans for four years. And this parish is probably one that most people would recognize as one of the wealthier parishes in the city. And I was present for two of their main Sunday Masses every Sunday. And let me tell you, every time I left the church, I was exhausted. Why? These two Masses are an effort of love on the part of the entire community. They have an army of altar servers, literal army. And they meet every Thursday to rehearse for the upcoming Sunday Mass, this army of boys who serve, right? They spend hours preparing The choir is half-paid, half-volunteer, and they also will spend hours preparing every week. Members of the community will support the choir program financially. There's always flowers everywhere in the church every Sunday. Their liturgies are celebrated with splendor, and the community is committed to that vision. They don't watch the clock at Mass. The people who come to Mass there know they are coming for God and for God alone. Feast days really felt like feast days, and they lasted like feast days should. And when you left, you had been so involved that you were tired, especially the priest. It was exhausting. 
All the music, the incense, the movement, it wore you out. It felt like you had really worked. But that's what liturgy is, right? The Greek root of liturgy is public work. The ministers at Mass should feel like they have spent themselves working for the salvation of parishioners. And yet so many parishes across the world, right? This is just the common thing that you see in Catholicism. They're struggling to even do simple things at Mass, Priests will struggle in parishes today with so many complaints when they try to celebrate the liturgy according to the splendor the church intends because people have been so committed to having a bottom-of-the-barrel approach to parish life and therefore to the worship of God. And so our parishes don't usually have the resources for sacred music and all of that, right? And yet so many people, Catholics will leave their bottom-of-the-barrel Sunday Mass and go home to their house with their marble countertops in their bathroom, right? So I'll stop there and explain, right? There's nothing wrong with a nice house. There's nothing wrong with going to sporting events. I've already gone to a few NFL games this year, and I'm going to go to some more. But what I'm saying is that we have placed ourselves into a comfortable mentality where as long as we can check off the box on tithing, to the church or to a charity, then we understand that God isn't expecting anything else of us and we can just forget about it after that, right? But everything we have is a gift that has come down from God. We would have nothing had God not been generous with us. But God is generous so that we may share the goods we have and the life we have for the well-being of the church, for one another, Christian generosity cannot and should not be confined to an Excel spreadsheet. It's about love, plain and simple. God is expecting that because we love him, right, this is building off last Sunday, because we love him and because we love one another, that we would naturally turn over everything we have to the command of God, whatever he intends it to be used for. I'm reminded of the great Sushipe of St. Ignatius of Loyola. It's a prayer I say often, and it's one that I would recommend you look up and learn. St. Ignatius prays, Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have, and call my own. You have given it all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Can we really say that? I think it's a hard line for me. Is God really enough for us? Can we be generous enough to give God our entire self without counting the cost, without worrying over the future, but disposing everything that we have and call our own so that we may glorify his holy name? Praised be Jesus Christ, now and forever.